Welcome back to From Aid Arbitration. Got a lot of stuff to cover today, so I'm going to jump right into it. Um, I, I don't want this to be another two-hour episode, so I'm going to get right into it. Um, I'm going to cover several things. I'm going to end with uh, this certified letters in the DPS. I talked about that a little bit earlier in an earlier episode. Um, we're going to grieve it. Okay, we're going to grieve it. I have something for you that somebody sent to me. We're going to grieve it. Okay. Um, initially, the the question that was posed to me is, uh, what do we do with certifieds in the DPS? And I gave the language how we handle that. We have something that has come up that has changed the game on that. Okay. It's changed the game on that. And so I'm going to have Jeremy put all this stuff up. We're going to grieve that. All right. Nationwide, we're going to grieve it. And so that'll be what I end with. Be very good. Have some other things that I'm going to talk about, some things I'm going to read. And so we're just going to jump right into it, okay? Um, a lot of y'all know, if y'all have listened to me in the past, I worked for the jail from about 1990 to 1996. I worked at the jail. And I worked midnight shift, third shift. And so every Friday and Saturday, it was the most volatile time up there because the inmates could stay out till two in the morning. Uh, the rest of the week, when we got there, they were already put up. And so the only time we had any kind of interaction with them was at breakfast. When we would let them out, we fed breakfast on third shift. And so if something was going to happen on the floor, normally it's on uh it was at breakfast or on the weekend because when we got there, they were allowed to stay out till two and they could do whatever they want, watch TV, play games. Do y'all know what game was the most popular for the inmates at the jail? Y'all never guess it, but what game would you think would be the most popular for the inmates at the jail? It was chess. <laughs> Believe it or not, chess was the most popular game. Uh, they had cards so they could play spades or whatever, and they could play dominoes. But chess was the most popular game, which to me was odd. I don't know why, but I would have never thought that you walk up into a jail and chess was the most popular game. And they were very skilled, very good. I could never play chess, the game chess. I, I, I just never took the time. Probably wasn't intelligent enough to do it. But uh, they played chess, not checkers. Checkers is a kid's game. But chess was the was the one, which which was odd to me. Management plays checkers, okay. Management plays checkers because they're not going to take the time to educate themselves enough to where they'll ever be able to play chess through the grievance procedure through the contract. What we cannot do here as a union is play checkers with management. We we can't play checkers with management who can only play checkers. We have to play chess while they play checkers. That's how we will always win. We will always have the upper hand on them when we play chess. Now, how do you play chess when they play checkers? You have to want to. You've got to want to educate yourself. That's how you That's how you learn to play chess. Uh, you've got to, to want to win which will help you learn. That's how you play chess when management plays checkers. When I talk about this hero training and I talk about the remedy, $50 a calendar day, 
I know how to play chess when management plays checkers, okay? The $50 a calendar day is playing chess when management plays checkers. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we have those in the union who refuse who refuse to play chess. They will always play checkers with management. I had a very interesting phone call this week. Uh, had somebody reach out to me and they said, hey, Corey, we're in regional training uh, and the RAA was in this class. And he said that uh, Corey Walton is writing checks that he cannot cash. And so I, I found that humorous because I don't write checks. <laughs> I have a debit card because I always have sufficient funds for anything that I say. <laughs> so I will never write a check that I can't cash because I don't use checks. I have a debit card. And that way, I always know that I have sufficient funds. So if you ever challenge me on something, saying that I write checks I can't cash, understand this. I always have an available balance. <laughs> so I reached out to this RAA and said that this has come up. And uh, I called him. I called this RAA. And uh, I said, hey, man, heard that you had said some things about me. I hadn't been able to sleep knowing that you might be upset with something that I said. So just thought I'd call you and let's clear the air because I need to sleep. And I hadn't been able to sleep since I heard this. And he said, well, I didn't say that. He said, this remedy is writing a check that you cannot cash. The remedy of $50 a calendar day is writing a check that you cannot cash. I realized then that I was talking with an individual who only knows how to play checkers. They have never played chess. And unfortunately, this person is working at the business agent's office. So I, when you talk to somebody who plays checkers and has never played chess, it is very difficult to, to get them to understand where you're coming from. Okay? When I talk about $50 a calendar day, and I know that I talked about this previously, but a lot of these cases are making their way to formal step A now. So I'm going to keep talking about it because it's a massive grievance for us. Okay. A massive grievance. Uh, we have some regions that are attacking it full force. I mean, full force. They are attacking this grievance and going to try to bankroll some of their letter carriers. Unfortunately, you have regions like the one I was talking about where they are playing checkers still. Uh, with management and, and they don't understand how to obviously how to present a case to arbitration and how to build a case for arbitration. Um, so when you talk about $50 a calendar day, I told you that it was to force it in front of an arbitrator. Uh, if you have a very skilled advocate, we don't really need to be a skilled advocate. If you've got a, an advocate that can tell a story that can, is very convincing, it's very easy to convince an arbitrator on this. I'll give you some things that when you are going to Formal A here, I'm going to give you some sites. I'm going to do the work for you here on this podcast. Because like in this region where this gentleman and I were talking, where he can only play checkers, I will, I will tell you how to do this grievance. Okay, because obviously they have checked out because they're not going to do what it takes to play chess. Okay, it, it takes a little work. It takes a little work. So when you tell somebody that it takes a little work, they will always fall back to playing checkers. 
They will never do the work to play chess. I do the work to play chess, okay? So I'm going to show you all how we're going to play chess here today, okay? So when you're going to Formal A, these cases are, are starting to be filed. I'm going to talk about some other things that are happening with these cases in a second. But when these cases are being filed, the information requests have been put in. Uh, you're probably meeting on them shortly. You're going to be presenting those to the formal A because management more than likely will not settle that for the $50 a calendar day. But when you go forward, I want to read some numbers to you and then I've got some sites for you because I will do the work for you on this podcast. I will do the work for you because I want my carriers to make a lot of money. And so I will do the work for these regions that refuse to do the work and say, I'm writing checks I can't cash, that refuse to do the work to say, I want to play chess instead of checkers. At the business agent's office across this country, everybody in the business agent's office should be able to play chess. Everybody. You're the elite of the elite. You should be. You're the elite of the elite. And so in the business agent's office, you should all be playing chess. If I have to explain to you how to play chess, you're probably not in the position you need to be in, okay? I'm just a city letter carrier. So if a city letter carrier is telling you how to play chess and you only know how to play checkers, let's reconsider our position maybe. And maybe you need to go back to carrying mail and, and start again. Start at the ground floor so that you can learn how to play chess. But I'm going to show you how to play chess here today, okay? I'm going to do the work for you. If you look in our database and arbitrations, and you look for falsification. Uh, you look for falsification. Where management has removed letter carriers for falsifying some form of documentation. Okay? If you look in the database, you have falsification of postal documents, falsification of back pay calculations, falsification of assault allegations, falsification of employment applications, falsification of medical records, uh, falsification of compensation claims, falsification of driving records, falsification of unemployment claims, falsification of worker time records. If you look at these things, this is where management has removed the city letter carrier for falsifying some form of those documents, okay? Management has taken us to task 2,362 times, okay? If you add all those up, 2,000 362 times management has removed us for falsifying some form of documentation, whatever it is. 1,153 times they've been successful. Okay? 1,153 times they have been successful in removing one of our brothers and sisters for falsifying some form of documentation. Now, those are First occurrence falsifications, and most arbitrators, and I'll read something to you, I'll read some sites to you here in just a second. Most arbitrators will consider falsification of some form of documentation worthy of removal on the first offense, okay? And we've got some sites I'm going to read to you that will support your contentions. Arbitration advocates, I've already pulled sites for you here I'm going to read to you so you don't have to look for any sites, okay? I've got, I'm going to read them to you, and you're going to convince the arbitrator of our remedy. So, if management will remove a city letter carrier on the first occurrence for falsifying some form of documentation, what can we get from management when their own 
falsifies some form of documentation, i.e. hero training, heat training. When they intentionally falsify heat training, what can we get from them? If you say the only thing we can get from them on the first occurrence is a cease and desist, you are playing checkers. You cannot play chess. If you say that what it requires on the first occurrence is a cease and desist, which is what this RAA was saying, we've got to have a history of falsifying. Why are carriers being removed on the first occurrence of falsification if management requires numerous times of falsification to get past a cease and desist? You are playing checkers. We have got to play chess on this remedy. Okay? So, those numbers will be put into our contentions. Letter carriers have been removed from their livelihoods on the first occurrence of falsification. Here we have management intentionally falsifying documentation, i.e. hero training, heat training. They intentionally did it. How do we know they intentionally did it? Because there's 11 steps that I told you about to get to it to falsify it. So, when we go into arbitration, we'll read those numbers to an arbitrator. And I will say, Mr. Arbitrator, Madam Arbitrator, here we have management intentionally falsifying training, intentionally falsifying heat training, when they hold the carrier to the ultimate penalty of removal on the first occurrence for us. What do we do here? And leave it up to the arbitrator. Leave it up to the arbitrator. That's what you do. That's playing chess. We cannot play checkers with this grievance, okay? If it is above you, if this grievance is above you, opt out of it and let somebody else handle it, okay? I'm going to read some sites to you that, that will help you. That will help you. The first one is C number 17898. C number 17898, and Jeremy's going to put all these up there because we're going, to, we're going to put all of our pieces on the chessboard right here, okay? All of our pieces are going to be put on the chessboard right here. And this is how you learn to play chess when management is playing checkers, and it takes a little time to do it, but it's worth it for our brothers and sisters. C number 17898. C number 17898 is from Arbitrator Goldstein, Okay. And let's listen to what Arbitrator Goldstein has to say. And we're going to go back to page 21 of his decision, okay? C17898, C17898, going back to page 21 of his decision. This is what he says. Consequently, I hold that this was a blatant violation of the Code of Ethical Conduct. Now, they're talking about a letter carrier falsifying, okay? And this is what he says. Consequently, I hold that this is a blatant violation of the Code of Ethical Conduct, Section 661.53 of the ELM. Let's put that in our issue. And let's put this in our contentions. Section 661.53 of the ELM. And the USPS Standard of Conduct, Section 666.2 of the ELM. As I have observed repeatedly, the Postal Service must have in its employee scrupulously honest persons. Okay? The Postal Service must have in its employee scrupulously honest persons. We're going to use that against management in this case. 
You intentionally falsified hero training, specifically heat training, which kills letter carriers. We can document that. Which maims letter carriers, we can document that. So you intentionally falsify it. I'm going to put that in the arbitrator's lap, and I'm going to say, do you consider that someone that is scrupulously honest when management intentionally falsified that? Do you consider that manager or supervisor scrupulously honest when they did that? You cannot say yes. You must say no. So then what do we do about it? Is a simple cease and desist worthy of that? It wasn't here because we're going to keep on reading. USPS and NELC case numbers, got the case number there, Grievant D. Childs, quoting USPS NELC case number, Grievant McAfee. He's going down through some of these decisions he's talking about. Falsification of documentation is a fundamental breach of the trust that the service must be able to respond to from its employees. Did y'all hear that? Falsification of documentation is a fundamental breach of the trust that the service must be able to respond to from its employees. How does that apply here today, Mr. Arbitrator, when we have management intentionally falsifying heat training? The biggest killer of our people. How does that not apply here today, Mr. Arbitrator, when management intentionally falsified this training? We can prove that with 100% certainty. That's good for an advocate right there. This is true whether the grievant was the author of the forgery or falsehood or merely submitted the document knowing that it was false. Hey, folks, we're, we're fixing to play chess in arbitration. This site is going to help us play chess, okay? Suit so to those who say a simple cease and desist is worthy. You are playing checkers. Do not get involved with those of us who choose to play chess. If you say that I'm writing checks I cannot cash, I'm writing a check here that I can cash, baby. I'm, I'm, I've got sufficient funds. Do not get in the way of us who choose to fight. I talked about sitting in the shadows pointing. That's all you do is point in the shadows because you will not train yourself to play chess I will do that on this podcast. I will train everybody to play chess on this podcast. So for those of you who are in business agents' office or president's offices or shop stewards, get out of the way of those of us who choose to play chess when you can only play checkers, okay? We're playing chess here today, all right? I'm going to keep on reading. I'll read that again, though, because I like it. This is true whether the agreement was the author of the forgery or falsehood, or merely submitted the document knowing that it was false, which is what we can prove with 100% certainty. And then he's got some more case numbers. Uh, Grievant Croyer, Grievant Bernstein, uh, Grievant Lavagna Turan, uh, Grievant, Grievant Martin. So he's telling you all these cases. Grievant Smith from Chicago, Grievant Epstein. So he's telling you all these cases where they have falsified these things. Then he says this. The seriousness of the offense is reflected in the district's general order number one, which provides that removal may be the appropriate remedy for falsification, even in case of a first offense. I further note that general order is consistent with numerous arbitration cases, including those just cited above. And you're going to say that we should get a cease and desist and be fine with that, just going to let them complete the training? I'll read that again. 
The seriousness of the offense is reflected in the district's general order number one, which provides that removal may be the appropriate remedy for falsification, even in case of first offense. So what do we do now? What do we do here? We have a supervisor or manager who intentionally falsified documentation, i.e. heat training, hero training. We've got arbitrators who have established that falsification of something is worthy of removal on the first offense. Right? So, being as we can't remove them, what do we do now? What do we do with the falsification of training, intentional falsification of training records? What do we do now? You don't think that you can't convince somebody, an arbitrator, to award $50 a calendar day? Is that what you're telling me? is that you don't have anybody that can go into arbitration and convince somebody to do that. I offer my services to you if you cannot. I promise you I can. I promise you I can. So if you don't have confidence in anybody in your region, have me come up. I'll be more than glad to sit in a chair in arbitration and convince an arbitrator for you to award my brothers and sisters $50 a calendar day for the intentional falsification of hero training. Quit playing checkers in the business agent's office. Quit playing checkers and quit trying to interfere with those of us who choose to play chess. If you do not want to educate yourself, do not get in our way. We're trying to do something here. We're trying to do something here. We're trying to play chess. Let's go on. I've got another site for you. It's from Sherry Rose Talmadge. Arbitration advocates, if you are taking these to hearing, get these sites. C28539, C28539 A and B, okay? C28539 A and B, Sherry Rose Talmadge, who is a very good arbitrator, very good arbitrator. Listen to how she blisters us right here. When we talk about $50, we can't get it because there's not been a history of non-compliance. There's not been a history of falsification of training. We have no history to support $50 a calendar day. You're playing checkers. You've got to understand arbitrators' authority and how arbitrators think, okay? I know how arbitrators think. Why? Because I've been in there almost 200 times. I've been in arbitration almost 200 times. I know how arbitrators think, okay? Here's the case. Here's what she says. Some arbitrators have concluded that punitive damages should be awarded only, if at all, when a party's conduct has been willful, malicious, and in bad faith. All of those three apply to these cases on hero training. Have this decision ready for you, okay? I'm going to read again. Some arbitrators have concluded that punitive damages should be awarded only, if at all, when a party's conduct has been willful. Can you prove that management's actions here have been willful? Absolutely 100% you can. Why? Because they intentionally did it. And we had to catch them doing it. That is willful. That is the definition of willful. Malicious. Can you prove that it's malicious? How? It's widespread. It's nationwide. It's malicious. And I'm going to show you some other things to prove that it was malicious later on some of these information requests. Proving that it's malicious, okay? 
and in bad faith. Do you consider management intentionally falsifying hero training, hiding it from us, us having to put in an information request to get it, to show that they falsified it, going through 11 steps to falsify it? Do you consider that in bad faith? Oh, baby, I do. (laughs) I do. I do. That is the example of bad faith. She goes on. This is on page six now. Where the contractual violation is repeated, that's for checker players. Those who play checkers, that's their that's what they're going to tell everybody about Corey Walton. He doesn't understand. This is the first occurrence. You're not going to be able to get that on the first occurrence. You'll see it all over Facebook. You hear it from RAAs. This is not on the first occurrence. This remedy can't be awarded on the first occurrence. Those players pay checkers. Don't worry about them. Cast them aside. We're playing chess here, okay? So anybody who says on the first occurrence of falsification, you're not going to be able to get a remedy, don't listen to them. I'm telling you. We're training people to play chess. She goes on. Where the contractual violation is repeated, checker players, or intentional chess players, arbitrators are more likely to award punitive damages. I'll read it again. Where the contractual violation is repeated or intentional. Is this intentional? Absolutely, it's intentional. How do we know that? Because they went through 11 steps to do it. We had to catch them doing it. They didn't come to us and say, hey, we screwed this up. We had to put in an information request to find it. They are putting people that are at the DRT on training. We've got business agents that they are saying completed the training. How can you not prove that that's intentional? For those of you who choose to play checkers, please get out of our way. You can talk about me all you want about play, about uh, I'm writing checks. You can do that all you want. I know how to play chess. I've been playing it for years now. At the informal, at the formal, in arbitration, I know how to play chess. So when I tell you something, I'm not just pulling that out of my ass and saying, ask for $50 a calendar day. I know exactly what I'm talking about, and I know exactly how to get it. I'm telling y'all here today how to get it. I told you last week how to get it. So anybody wants to stand up and say, Corey doesn't know what he's talking about. Understand that Corey plays chess. Corey plays chess. Do not listen to people that play checkers and only know how to play checkers. Okay. So get that site there. Two good lines for you on page six. That's Sherry Rose Talmadge, 28539, I've got two more that I'm going to read to you, and then we're going to move to the next thing. These are two of mine that I lost in arbitration in front of Arbitrator August. Both of them are in front of Arbitrator August, which was one of my favorite arbitrators. I thought she was the fairest of all of them. She was the fairest of all of them. This first one is dealing with a gentleman that... Uh, <laughs> God bless him. And if you read this, you can see I did everything humanly possible to get this guy. But anything I could throw at management, I threw at management in this case, and arbitrator August didn't buy any of it. But if you read it, I mean, you'll see I fought for this guy as hard as I fought for anybody. And he just, he did himself in. He, he sent over the scanner that he had been robbed at gunpoint. And they had stole his phone, 
and uh, he couldn't call, so he's sending a message over the scanner, and this thing exploded. I mean exploded. They sent the police out. The OIG come out because they buy the story hook, line, and sinker that he was robbed at gunpoint. So OIG's out casing the neighborhood. The police are out casing the neighborhood. It gets on the local news <laughs> that this mailman had been robbed. They're looking for these guys, right? And so all of these resources were spent trying to find these guys. So they asked him to take a polygraph. When they asked him to take a polygraph, he acknowledged that he lied. He made it all up because he was late. <laughs> so, so rather than just being late, he makes up this <laughs> extravagant story about being robbed at gunpoint. And so all hell breaks loose when he does that. And so they go to the I.I. and he recants his statement. He says, no, I didn't make it up. It was true. <laughs> and so <laughs> they fire the poor guy. You know, but I was in there fighting for him, man. It was comical. I was laying in the management, man. And so if you read the decision, it's quite comical. But you can see I, anything and everything I could throw at management, I did. And Arbitrator August, he just shaking her head at me like, God bless you, Corey. But it's C34357. C34357, okay, is the site. It's from Arbitrator August. And we're going to read from page 13 of her decision. And this is what she says. And we're going to use this too. Okay? We're going to use this too. The ELM section 665.16 requires all postal employees to conduct themselves during and outside of working hours in a manner that reflects favorably upon the postal service. It further requires that postal employees be honest, hello, reliable, trustworthy, hello, Huh? Courteous and of good character. She's talking to management right here. And reputation. The fact that the grievant knowingly provided false information to his managers, the Postal Inspection Service, and local law enforcement, and continued to allow them to believe it was accurate information displayed a total lack of candor on his part. Arbitrators have consistently found that where employees have provided false information, false documents or otherwise have proven to be untrustworthy management has just caused to terminate their employment even where there is no prior discipline does that cover what we're dealing with here when she says arbitrators have consistently found that where employees have been provided false information falsified documents or otherwise have proven to be untrustworthy do any of those apply to what management has done here with us with this hero training? Absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. And that's what we'll present to an arbitrator. Because I guarantee you, if you ask for any discipline that's been issued for these supervisors or managers who have input this falsified training, not one of them has been addressed through discipline. They don't care. And there's no way that you can tell me that headquarters hasn't told them to do this because this is nationwide. This went on in the entire country. How did everybody know to do that around the entire country? Who, who sent the email out that told them to do that? Huh? I'd like to know that. You'll never get it, but I'd like to know it. Here's the last one, and this is my favorite one that I use against management when they falsify uh, clock rings. And they say they didn't know. Or they say they weren't trained. Or whatever. 
And this is another one that I lost. It's C32489. 32489. This was back in June of 2016. And it's from Arbitrator August again. 32489. It's just one sentence. Um, but what happened here was a young lady, a CCA, used the Voyager card and bought $6 worth of snacks. I believe that's what it was. I may be completely wrong, but I believe it's about $6 worth of snacks with the Voyager card. She got questioned about it, and she admitted to it, I believe, and then um, they fired her for it. They fired her for it, and I felt so sorry for this poor girl. Uh, she had just had a child, I believe it was, and, uh, and she cried and cried and cried in this hearing, begging for, for uh, her job back. She said that she would pay it back. Um, I felt terrible for the poor girl, man. And I did everything I could for her too, man. I, I fought my ass off for her. I felt terrible after this decision. But this is what arbitrator August says on page 10. Quite frankly, even if she had not admitted she knew better, she should have known better anyway. How powerful is that? In this case, especially with hero training. Quite frankly, even if she had not admitted she knew better, she should have known better anyway. I use that any time I come across falsification of clock rings, edited clock rings, when management says, hey, we didn't know, we didn't train. Even if you didn't know better, you should have known better. You should have known better that you don't go in there and falsify clock rings. You should have known better that you went in there and edited tax clock rings. You should have known better that you went in there and falsified, intentionally falsified hero training. You should have known better. Why? Because you were being dishonest and untrustworthy when you did it. You knew that the carriers didn't uh, receive the training. You knew that they didn't sit down and do this hero training. You intentionally falsified it to gain what? What did you gain by intentionally falsifying heat training? You've got to play chess when management plays checkers. If all you know how to do is play checkers, you are in the wrong position, especially in the, uh, in the business agent's office. Everybody in the business agent's office should know how to play chess. But it's impossible if all you do is play checkers with management, okay? I'm going to read something to you that somebody sent me. This was sent to me on Messenger. Not sure if this is Corey or not responding or just somebody on his behalf, but I wanted to let you know, thank you for the inspiration yesterday. I signed a local agreement with my new postmaster about her falsification of the hero training, and she agreed that if we could keep it local, that she would agree to the $50 per calendar day per affected carrier for any infraction involving the falsification training and any training in the future. So now I have something protecting my carriers in my office forever. Thank you, man, for all that you do. What about that? He had a local postmaster saying, hey, if you'll keep this in-house, I'll agree to the $50 per calendar day. And I'll agree to $50 calendar day if it happens in the future. And I've got an RA an RAA telling carriers, Corey Walton's writing checks he can't cash. How about my brother right here? <laughs> what are you going to tell him, Mr. RAA? What are you going to tell him to not ask for that? Huh? That he's foolish for asking for that? Don't get in the way of us choosing to play chess when all you know how to do is play checkers. 
Here's a man who got the $50 a counter a day. You know why? Because local management said, please don't go anywhere outside the station with this. Don't send this up so other people can see what we've done. I'll give you the $50 a calendar day. And I'll give you $50 a calendar day in the future when it happens. He chose to play chess. And what are you going to tell him? He's writing checks he can't cash. He just wrote one. <laughs> and he cashed it for the regular carriers in his office. He just wrote one and got it cashed for the carriers in his office. And you've got those saying, Corey Walton's writing checks he can't cash. <laughs> Don't get in Corey Walton's way, baby. Okay? All right? He's always got sufficient funds. Here's another thing that y'all are dealing with, and a lot of people are sending me these. They're sending out the relevancy letters on the information request. Now, why they're doing that is they don't want you to see what they've done. I told you I had two episodes of relevancy letters. File on those relevancy letters Okay, do not give up because of that. File on those relevancy letters and get the information. Management is trying to block you from that. Here's an individual that, that went reached out to me about the relevancy letters. We talked about it. He won that. And so management immediately turned around and handed him a U.S. cost estimate form. How much they're going to charge him for the information. Okay. And this is what I'm talking about when I say willful willful when they hand you a relevancy letter and you have to be that then they hand you a cost estimate form we can show that they're trying to hide this information they're trying to get us off of them okay they're trying to get us off of them and so when they hand you these cost estimate forms here's what it says to the shop steward from office of the postmaster on 517 Mr. So-and-so, the Freedom of Information Act authorizes the agency to require reimbursements for costs of providing information. Therefore, consistent with AS 353, sections 4-6.5, this form has provided you, the union, with an estimated cost for the information requested. Estimate of search time. Manual search time. First two hours free, $32 per hour thereafter. Computer search time, refer to 4.6.5 AS 353. Estimated search time, eight hours. Okay, so remember that when y'all putting in y'all's request uh, to investigate a possible grievance and they say you get two hours. Here they're saying eight hours to pull up some clock ring or to pull up some training records, okay? <laughs> that takes about 10 minutes. You can pull up every bit of it on those 11 steps. It'll pull up every bit of it in about 10 minutes. Every carrier in there. Uh, they're saying eight hours. Estimated search time cost, $192. Total, $192. Duplication, first 100 pages free, 0.15 cents per page thereafter. Estimated copies at 0.15 cents, 235. So total search time and duplication cost, $227.25. So that's what they're going to charge us to get the information showing that they falsified this training. Upon receipt of your the union's written agreement or signature below affirming you will reimburse the SPS for the costs associated with this request, the information will be supplied. Okay, so they're sending out uh, how much they're going to charge us. Okay, I told him I would simply say, here's an F drive. Put it all on this F drive. Put all the information on that and won't charge me a penny. Or you can email it to me. You can email me the information. If they decline, I'd file a 17 and 31 on them, okay? They don't want us to have this training. 
where they falsified it, especially with this gentleman. They gave him the relevancy letter, and then they turned around and they said, hey, here's a cost form for you. So keep playing chess on them. Here's a here's a F drive for you, okay? Put it all on that, or you can email me all the documentation. When you get the clock rings, look at the time on the clock rings that it was printed, okay? And let's see what time it is. Let, let's try to beat these eight hours they estimated because uh, it'll have the time on there that they did it because uh, I want to try to beat that too. So that is how you play chess, okay, on that uh, when management plays checkers. Management is too dumb to do anything other than play checkers. They're too dumb and they're too lazy, okay? They will never learn how to play chess, never. They will always play checkers. All right. What we cannot do is get in the habit of playing checkers with them and get lazy and refuse to play chess. Anybody in the business agent's office, everybody in the business agent's office should be playing chess. If you're talking about people that are playing chess and you only know how to play checkers, please stay out of the conversation. OK, please stay out of the conversation and do us all a favor. All right. I'm going to read something else to you. Here's a mandatory stand-up talk that was sent out the other day. Mandatory stand-up talk, keeping it moving. Okay, so if this is being given, we're gonna we're gonna give you some some stuff right here. Okay, mandatory stand-up talk, keeping it moving. What we do and how we do it defines us as individuals and as an organization. Through your daily activities of delivering and collecting mail, letter carriers need to ensure that time is of the essence while you're on your route. Effective immediately, special focus is being given to carriers who expand their street time in excess of the time committed to in the morning with your supervisor during the daily commitment process. Your supervisor has various means of identifying street expansion or stationary time to address performance opportunities. Technological or physical means aside, every carrier should fully expect to be supervised any time throughout the day. Keep in mind that every carrier is required to always have their scanner on their person except for your 30-minute lunch and 10-minute break. There should be no loitering, expansion, or stationary time while on the street. As a reminder, Postal Handbook M41 City Delivery Carriers Duties and Responsibilities State 112.28 Do not loiter or stop to converse unnecessarily on your route. All right? 112.28 Do not loiter or stop to converse unnecessarily on your route. Remember that word, loiter. All right? 112.29 Return to the delivery unit immediately on completion of assigned street duties and promptly clock on in on arrival. A motorized carrier unloads his vehicle and then immediately records returning time. Keeping it moving while on the street is expected and with your conscientious performance will be able to achieve on-time delivery in the most efficient manner. This allows us to serve our customers effectively and provide on-time service. Thank you for all that you do every day. Now you got them saying keep in mind that every carrier is required to always have their scanner on them on their person. There should be no loitering expansion or street or stationary time along the street. I told you the other day that we had a letter of warning that was issued for ex expanding the street time or stationary events. So that's what they're calling it now. Expansion of street time. Matter of fact, it says here, 
effective immediately special focus is being given to carriers who expand their street time. They're talking about stationary events, and they're getting that off of the scanners, okay? And they're talking about loitering, all right? So what we will do is, what we will do is we're going to get section 134 of the M39 handbook, and I talk about this all the time. This is the grievance that we file. Now, unfortunately, the higher-ups in the union are playing checkers still. While we're trying to play chess, okay, they're playing checkers. Why? Most of the time because they're too lazy to get involved. All right? They don't want to fight. Uh, we need heroes and champions at that level. And sometimes they don't want to fight, just like the gentleman I talked to said I was writing checks. This is a gentleman who will never play chess. He will always play checkers. He will never want to fight. Okay, so when you see a stand-up like that that talks about loitering and expanding street time, they're talking about stationary events. We go to 134 of the M39 handbook. I talk about this all the time. 134.11. Street management is a natural extension of office management. All carriers to be notified to expect daily supervision on the street just as they receive daily supervision in the office. For our delivery manager to fully understand and control the organization, the manager must be aware of any conditions that affect delivery anywhere within the service territory. 134.12. Remember this stand-up talk? Your supervisor has various means of identifying street expansion or stationary time to address performance opportunities. 134.12. Accompanying carriers on the street is considered an essential responsibility of management and one of the manager's most important duties. Accompanying, what does that mean? you got to be with me. Accompanying carriers on the street is considered an essential responsibility of management and one of the manager's most important duties. Managers should act promptly to correct improper conditions. A positive attitude must be maintained by the manager at all times. 134.13. Conservation of energy is most important, and street supervision must also be directed to achieve this objective. Supervisors must not permit unauthorized deviations from the route, engine idling for excessive periods, wasteful driving habits, and unauthorized or excessive vehicle stops and moves on park and loop routes. 134.2. Here we go, folks. Techniques. 134.21. The manager must maintain objective attitude in conducting street supervision and discharge this duty in an open and above-board manner. 134.22. The manager is not to spy or use other covert techniques. Any employees and fractions are to be handled in accordance with the section in the current national agreement that deal with these problems. 134.3. Criteria for need. 134.3, criteria for need. Here we go. Certain criteria may call attention for individual street supervision. Do you remember this stand-up talk? It says, effective immediately, special focus is being given to carriers who expand their street time in excess of the time committed to in the morning with your supervisor during the daily commitment process. So they're telling you, effective immediately, special focus is being given to certain carriers. Okay, here we go. Certain criteria may call attention for individual street supervision. That's what this stand-up's talking about. When overtime or auxiliary assistance is used frequently on a foot on a route, 
foot, motorized, parcel, post, collection, relay. When a manager receives substantial evidence of loitering. Have you heard that word before? They used it in the stand-up talk, didn't they? 112.28, do not loiter. Yeah. Also up here, there should be no loitering. Said it twice. Right here. When a manager receives substantial evidence of loitering or other actions or lack of action by one or more employees, or when it is considered to be in the interest of the surface, here we go, the manager may accompany the carrier on the street to determine the cause or meet the carrier on the route and continue until such a time as the manager is satisfied. No advance notice to the carrier is required. They're telling you exactly how they must perform street duties. Okay? If they have substantial evidence that we are loitering, right? What must they do? It tells them here in 134.3, the manager may accompany the carrier on the street to determine the cause or meet the carrier on the route. It does not say sit at a desk and look at breadcrumbs, sit at a desk and look at scanner data. It does not say that. When we talk about spying and using covert techniques, the knuckleheads that are on our union that will not support that grievance have never read this section of the M39 handbook, and it is obvious. They are playing checkers with management who plays checkers. You have got to get in these contracts, these handbooks and manuals in order to defeat the shit that's going on now. Just like when they killed my grievance, the explanation is, well, you can expect to be supervised daily. It tells you exactly how they're going to do it right here. Manager may accompany the carrier on the street or meet the carrier on the route. Those are the two things it says. It doesn't say you can sit at a desk and watch me. It doesn't say that. Don't say it that you can look at a computer all day and do street supervision on me. It says if there's excessive loitering or evidence of loitering, these are the two things that you can do. Accompany me to the street or meet me on the street. Those are the two things. What you cannot do is spy or use covert techniques on me. That's what you can't do. You can't spy or use covert techniques. And if you do have an issue with me, what must you do? One of two things. Accompany me on the street or meet me on the street. There is no gray area there. When the union says we have no grievance, when the union says we have no grievance here, that's buffoonery. That's idiocy. That, <laughs> that's, that's laziness. That's laziness. And you're playing checkers. You're playing checkers. Okay? Quit doing that. Quit doing that. So there's the language for that stand-up talk. That's the language that I would use on management. I'd ask them about this stand-up talk. How are you, how you planning on doing it? How are you seeing people, uh, carriers that uh, are expanding their street time? How are you seeing stationary events? And I'd grieve the stand-up talk. I just would. I'd grieve the stand-up talk. We're playing chess here today, folks. I'm going to read some things to you. One of my favorite movies, I love the Lord of the Rings movies and I love the Hobbit movies. I'm addicted to those things. Every January 1 of every year, 
I watch every single one of them from the very first Hobbit all the way to Return of the King, Lord of the Rings. I watch every every New Year. I watch those in, in their entirety. I love them. I love the movies. In the Hobbit series, the last one, Battle of the Five Armies, you have the guy who should be king, Thorn Oakenshield. If y'all have watched him, he's badass. Thorn Oakenshield, they're trying to make their way back to the cat, to their mountain, right? Where all the gold is and all the, uh, the emeralds and stuff. That's their home. So they're trying to make their way back home, right? And you got all these other dwarves that are following him because he's supposed to, he's the heir to the throne. And so they finally get there. They kill the dragon, Smog. And he gets into the, the mountain and he gets overcome with, with the gold and the riches. And he gets that sickness, remember? And while he's in that sickness, the orcs attack. And you have the elves there. You got the other orcs there. You got the humans there. And, and the orcs attack. And Thorn refuses to go out and meet them in battle. He refuses to go out and fight because he's got that sickness about that wealth, about all that money, the gold and everything. His people are begging him, get into the fight. Get into the fight. We need you. We will rally around you. You are the king, the heir to the throne. Get in the fight. He refuses to fight, right? So everybody's out there and they're dying. <laughs> the orcs are, are attacking from everywhere. And, they're, and, and we're fighting our asses off, right? The elves and the other dwarves and the humans, they're fighting their asses off to win. And they're being overrun. Do y'all remember that? If y'all seen it, they're being overrun. Finally, finally, when all hope seems lost, when all hope seems lost, you hear that, that horn. And it's the horn of the king, Thorn Oakenshield. And it comes blaring out over the battlefield. So much respect for that, so much fear that everybody stops fighting and they look at the mountain and they barricaded themselves in the mountain. And this huge gold bell comes busting through this barricade, right? And this horn's going off. It's badass. It gives me chills every time I see it. First time I saw it, damn near cried because it was so badass. This bell comes busting through this barricade and here comes the king. Thorn oak and shield running out. And the, remember what the other dwarves said? Rally to the king. Rally to the king. You remember that? And immediately the battle turned and they won. You remember that? Here's the perfect example of the union today. We have been so overrun with our desire for wealth that we refuse to battle with our people on the workroom floor. We refuse to battle with a city letter carrier on the workroom floor. We are begging for help. How many episodes in a row have I begged for help? Somebody do something about something. Help us on the workroom floor. We are being overrun by the orcs, by the enemy. Management is intentionally lying. They're falsifying things on us. They're making up standards. They're making up office times. They're making up stationary event times. They're making up these standards as far as load times. 
the five-minute PM office duties. They're making up these things. There's, the misinformation is rampant, and the carriers are getting slaughtered on this. And I have come on here repeatedly and said, please, somebody do something to help. Somebody help. We need that king. We need that business agent to step up and say, hey, rally around me. I'm standing in the gap. I'm getting in the arena and I'm going to fight with my people. I've begged for that for far too long. I'm going to read some things to you from some people, okay? I've got some pre-arves that were sent to me from people that are that are so upset, so upset. Here's one that a guy sent to me. It's a pre-arb. It was 136 cases, all dealing with the same thing, Article 8.5 DNG and Article 15 noncompliance. 136 cases sent up, okay? He said he'd been sending them up for two years, and they pre-arbed every single one of them, and they based the pre-arb off of an arbitrator's decision out of that same installation. And the arbitrator said the service violated Article 15, Section 3A, and Postal Service Policy Letter M1517 via Article 19 of the National Agreement, when on August 9th and 10th, that's two days, they failed to comply with cease and desist settlements at, the, at this station regarding the assignment of overtime per Article 8.5 of the National Agreement. Now, first off, that, that tells you the cease and desist. We did get that here. The service is directed to cease and desist, so the arbitrator got us that, from violating Article 8.5, Article 15, and the Postal Service Policy Letter M1517. The service is directed to pay to provide all non-ODL carriers who were impacted by the August 9th and 10th, 2021 violation, the option of receiving a one-time lump sum payment of $50 or administrative leave equal to the amount of time they were improperly mandated. Okay, so this was back in 2021. Since that time, they have filed 136 grievances dealing with this same infraction. Now, the arbitrator gave them a cease and desist back in 2021, said they're going to be paid $50 uh, per violation or admin leave, which is a management killer. They hate admin leave because that's double time because you're going to pay me to be off and you're going to pay somebody else to do my work. So that's double time. So they hate it. Uh, and so... This settlement comes out 136 cases, and this is what it says. The parties agree the terms and the remedy of the award from arbitrator bets for cases there dated May 19th will be adhered to. However, for this settlement only, for this settlement only, there will be a one-time exception to the final provision sentence of the remedy portion of this award, and all non-ODL carriers who were impacted by the violations will be awarded a lump, one-time lump sum payment or $50 for each violation. So the carrier, the, the shop steward was highly upset because the award granted the $50, but it took out the admin leave, which is almost impossible to get. So for 136 cases, went up after this arbitrator's award, 136 cases spanning two years, and they got $50 per violation. They took out the admin leave. No escalation of the remedies. $50, okay? 
That's Thorn Oakenshield. Sitting in the mountain, refusing to fight. Sitting on his wealth. That's what's happening with that pre-arb. When you see things like that happen, that's Thorn Oakenshield. You've got 136 cases sent up. No progression of the escalated of, of an escalated monetary award. No progression whatsoever. Not a penny more from two years ago when he's filed 136 cases since then. Not a penny more. And we're going to take out the option of admin leave. All, all looks lost when you see that. The battle is, is overpowering us when you see that. Here's another one. And somebody sent me and they were highly upset at this one. It says the case file indicates that supervisor so-and-so manipulated and altered city care clock rings when she made edits to the office time reflecting exactly one hour of office time. So here you have a supervisor that is falsifying clock rings to show that every carrier got out in an hour just so they can meet this, this district directive of an hour office time. We caught them falsifying clock rings. And they, they falsified it by showing everybody out of the office in an hour. So it says, the case file indicates that supervisor so-and-so manipulated and altered city care clock rings when she made edits to the office time, re reflecting exactly one hour of office time. That's number one. Number two, this installation management, specifically supervisor so-and-so, violated the national agreement when it improperly edited city care clock rings. This installation management, specifically the supervisor, shall cease and desist such violations. This installation management, specifically the supervisor, violated Article 15.3 of the national agreement when it failed to abide by previous decisions and has issued yet another cease and desist. This installation management, specifically the supervisor, shall fully and strictly comply with all grievance settlements, step B decisions, pre-arbitration agreements, arbitrations, awards, and policy letter M1517. Compliance is not optional. Yes, it is. <laughs> this decision says it is. Because in number three, you said, is issued yet, yet another cease and desist. So compliance is optional. All is looking lost here. You've got management falsifying clock rings. I just showed you earlier what they do to us when we falsify anything. They remove us. Here you got a supervisor that's intentionally falsified clock rings again. And what do they get? We don't get anything. No money. No nothing. We get another cease and desist. But at least the underlying compliance is not optional. Thank you for that. Now we know that compliance is not optional for the second or third cease and desist. Everything is looking lost. Here's another. Uh, 3996 grievance out of this installation. Management is arguing they can monitor carriers via DMS breadcrumbs because the joint agreement M1983 says they can and the fucking union doesn't rebut the fucking contention. We must have lost our fucking minds. I'll read that again. We got a 3996 grievance out of this installation. Management is arguing they can monitor carriers via DMS breadcrumbs because the joint agreement M1983 says they can 
and the fucking union doesn't rebut the fucking contention. We must have lost our, our fucking minds. All is looking lost, right? The enemy is beginning to win. We need a hero. We need the horn to sound. We need a bell to fucking crash through the blockade. We need a hero to step into the ring. All is looking lost. We have people being disciplined now because of expanding street time slash stationary events. We've got our office times going crazy. We've got stationary times going crazy. We've got 22-minute load times being district. Districts are in a competition with each other about that. We've got our office times. Districts are in competition with each other about that. We've got five minutes p.m. office time. Districts are in competition with each other. Here's another. I requested the Hero uh, RFI on 5-5. They haven't provided it yet. Postmaster stated we could talk about it when he got back from vacation. I said, what do you mean? I haven't even got the information or filed the grievance yet. I'll talk to you at Formal A. He's back now. I sent a second request last night. So today is my boyfriend's scheduled day off and I was on union time. So they had the carriers come up in groups of five to six to watch a heat training video. I'm still filing because he still falsified it. But isn't that something? Yeah, that's going on everywhere. Now that they've been caught, they're rushing through this process of the hero training. They're rushing through getting carriers in there. Continue to file the grievances, okay? Continue to file the grievances that they're going to be paid up until the time that they got caught and tried to hurry up with this training, okay? But again, we have no directives, nothing from, nothing from the union about it because all is sounding lost. The enemy is caving us in. They're attacking us from all sides, we have nobody stepping up into the ring. We have nobody getting into the arena. We're doing this on our own. We're fighting on our own. All of these are people that are getting no assistance from upper levels. We're having to fight all of this on our own, on the workroom floor. The ones who always fight things on our own. The one who are involved in every battle is the city letter carrier. We're involved in 100% of the battles on this floor. 100%. And all we're asking for is somebody to sound the fucking horn and bust through the fucking blockade and get into the motherfucking arena with us. That's all we're asking. Somebody get into the arena that's all we're asking. We're fighting all of this on our own. Here's another. Hey, which episode talks about the 22-minute load time? Our postmaster is saying the union agreed to it, which is false. I want to quote the, I want to quote the proper info when I can correct the PM. And I just sent him M1983. It's a parameter, not a standard. Again, we're fighting this on the floor by ourselves. We're having to fight this on the floor by ourselves because our union refuses to get in the fight. They are so overcome and are so spellbound by this money, saving this money. Just like this pre-arb with 136 cases, you shit on the carrier for money's sake is all that is. Here's another person having to fight something on his own, on the workroom floor. Here's another one. January 7th, T-Wrap changes replaced with zero carry input. 
I was told to do my route as is, and if any changes were needed, they would be done with a 90-day review. At the 1840R, I told the team about unsafe U-turns, crossing main arterial roads on foot, and businesses as last deliveries. They demanded me to do the new route as is, and changes would be made at the 90-day if they decided to approve them. April 7th, no review or any plans of one. My route is over 50 to 60 minutes daily. During this three months, management did two 39.99s, and I demonstrated the OT each day. April 25th, I submitted 271G, thanks to your suggestion. May 18th, received text from local union president that a live week of inspection will be done, June 10th, to satisfy the 271G. After questioning this, the union president said route inspections could be done in June because of my 271G. I disagree with all of this. The routes were cored, labels were printed, and I had zero input or review. Now management is retaliating because of my 271G and doing an inspection in June. Hell, you know how low the volume is then? Why would my TRAP union counterpart agree to this? How do I get my president to push back instead of taking orders from management? I've contacted my business agent before, but he told me to follow the local president. I know I can prepare my own grievance, but I can't prevent my local from stopping it. I don't know what to do, but I want to do something. More and more people are commenting to me about the TRAP turning, about the union starting to agree with stationary time, saying that you only get 25 minutes of stationary time per route, anything over that they're taking out. I'm hearing more and more people talking about they're not participating in the TRAP, that management and the union are not calling them in there for consultations. I'm hearing more and more of that every day. Uh, we're getting tired, I'm, I'm afraid, in the TRAP process, and they're starting to give in a little bit. Management will never give in. Understand that. They will always come after us. They will always come after us. They will never stop coming after us. You have got to be stronger than them in those meetings, okay? If you're getting weary, ask that you be replaced, okay? And have another dog get in the fight. It's okay if you get weary. Do not make decisions based off of weariness. If you're getting weary of being on there and, and fighting with management all the time, have somebody replace you, okay? And get another dog in the fight. I've said it too many times that that we're getting overrun too many times uh, i don't know if y'all remember my spicy salted peanuts when i said somebody do something about something somewhere even if it's wrong do something somebody stand the fuck up and we need to hear the horn we've got to see the bell bust through the fucking gate and we've got to see a leader run out and we can rally around that individual the regions can rally around that individual, right? I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I don't care what anybody in the business agent's office thinks about me. I don't care what RAAs, RGAs. I don't care what anybody at National thinks about me. Honest to God, I don't. If there are three groups, if there's the Postal Service, the NALC, and the city letter carrier, understand that I'm going to be on the side of the city letter carrier. I'm fighting with them against anybody else, friend or foe. I've said that numerous times. I'm on the side of the city letter carrier, and we will take on all comers. That's what we will do. 
However, we're at a disadvantage here because we need our agent, the NELC, to fight with us. And when they don't, they leave us in a position to be defeated because we cannot move the case up ourselves. We can handle it informal and formal. We can meet there and we can do all of our damage we can do there. But once it leaves our hands there, we're at y'all's mercy at the NELC. We're at y'all's mercy at the business agent's office. We're at y'all's mercy at the B team because it's being influenced by the business agent's office. We've got to have our agent in this fight with us. And that's what I say all the time. The letter carrier is always at a disadvantage. Why? Because we're, we're ill-trained. We're ill-trained. We're weary. Okay. We're trying to learn as much as we can. We're fighting all the time. Every single day we come in, we're in a fight. And we're reliant 100% on somebody that we can't influence or we can't force to do their job. We're reliant on an agent. 100% reliant on that agent to protect us and to move these cases forward. We have got to hear the horn. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. When it comes in there, it blasts out across that battlefield, man. And it gives you chills when you hear it because you know that the king is coming, right? The king is in the fight. And that's all anybody wanted. Everybody wanted. Where is Thorn Oakenshield? Why is he not in the fight? Why? Because they can rally around their leader, right? That's all we ask is somebody come out into the arena. Somebody come out into the battlefield with a city letter carrier and we can rally around you. Hey, folks, we got a horn playing. We've got somebody who's blowing the fucking horn here. We've got a leader coming out into the battlefield. We've got a leader finally stepping into the arena. All right? I'm going to read something to you. And this is the fucking horn that we've been waiting on. This is the one that we've been waiting on. This is the one that week after week after week I've been saying, somebody do something. Get into the fucking fight and do something. Somebody, please, stand the fuck up. We've got one standing the fuck up for his people right here. We've got the horn blowing right here. We've got the bell crashing through the fucking barricade, baby. And we've got somebody going to step onto the, on the battlefield with us. Somebody that we can rally around. Here's an email that was sent out. And it was sent out to every single person in this region. Okay? Every person in this region, it was sent out by a business agent. I'm gonna, not going to say what region or what the name is. It says, good afternoon. This email is in response to some troubling issues popping up around the region. Specifically, this office has become aware of instances where management is issuing employees discipline based solely on information derived from computer programs, e.g. DMS, DOAS, PET, or any other program. With respect to management utilizing computer programs for the sole purpose of discipline, there are several memorandums of relevance. M394, dated 8-22-1979, states in part, Daily volume estimations recorded for individual routes in accordance with these procedures will not constitute the basis for disciplinary action for failure to meet minimum casing standards. There's your hour office time. M1444, dated 7-30-2001, provides in part daily peace counts recorded in accordance with the above-referenced systems, post, or DOAS 
will not constitute the sole basis for discipline. M1458, dated 313-2002, explains in part, MSP does not set performance standards either in the office or on the street. Here's your stationary events, folks. With current tech technology, MSP records of scan times are not to be used as time card data for pay purposes. MSP data may not constitute the sole basis for disciplinary action. That's M1458. That along with Section 134 of the M39. There's your stationary events, grievance. Come on. M1664, dated 7-30-2007. DOAS projections are not the sole determinant of a carrier's leaving or return time or daily workload. As such, the projections cannot be used as the sole basis for corrective action. That's talking about your 3996. Talking about in the morning when they come around telling your projected leave times. M1769, dated 9-16-2011, states in part. The subject office efficiency tool is a management tool for estimating a carrier's daily workload. The office efficiency tool used in the greater Indiana district or any other similar time projection system tool will not be used as the sole determinant for establishing office or street time projections. Accordingly, the resulting projections will not constitute the sole basis for corrective action. As noted above, for a period of at least 44 years, it has been codified repeatedly that management's tools, e.g. DOAS, PET, DMS, or whatever the next computer program the USPS uses, cannot be sole basis for disciplinary action. Again, if management attempts to do so, make sure these memorandums are included, and this contention is made in every single grievance related to this issue. I cannot stress this enough. We must not permit management to bastardize these programs and memorandums, thereby weaponizing this data against our letter carriers. I'm going to read that again. That brings me to tears. I cannot stress this enough. We must not permit management to bastardize these programs and memorandums, thereby weaponizing this data against our letter carriers. Come on, baby. On that same note, make sure your members know when management questions them about their office time, street time estimates, stationary events, etc., whether it is casual conversation on the workroom floor or in a more formal investigative manager, they must invoke their wine garden rights. If questioned by management about data derived from these computer programs, letter carriers should simply inform management during the times in question they are performing their letter carrier duties. Management is attempting to have letter carriers say something they can somehow spin as an admission of wrongdoing. Branch presidents, this is where the shop stewards need to be ready to assist our members during these interviews and file the necessary grievances. This dude right here is hammering it the fuck home. Also, there have been several phone calls concerning management attempting to use the flagged parameters outlined in M1983, Technology Integrated altern Alternate Route Evaluation and Adjustment Process. Let there be no mistake, those times which were flagged within DSR for the TRAP process are not delivery standards. Here we go. I've been saying get in the fucking ring, man. This motherfucker's done busted the damn door down and getting in the ring. M1983 explains the sole purpose of those parameters with the following. 
The above listed parameters are not delivery standards and are used for the purpose of assisting the evaluation team in identifying potential anomalies. If management states these are standards, file a grievance. If management states you have 22 minutes to load, file a grievance. If management states you only have an hour in the office, file a grievance. If management tries to limit your PM office time, file a grievance. If management tries to impose a letter carrier, any street standard, file a grievance. It is recognized that changes in work and time standards will be initiated only at the national level. M360 provides in part, these grievances involve disciplinary actions as a result of route management. In keeping with the principle of a fair day's work for a fair day's pay, it is understood that there is no set pace at which a carrier must walk and no street standard for walking. There's your street standard. We have none. M304 supplies in part. Each of these cases involve a disciplinary action as a result of route management. In keeping with the principle of a fair day's work for a fair day's pay, it is understood that there is no set pace at which a carrier must walk and no street standard for walking. As noted above, there is no set pace at which a carrier works on the street, which is in keeping with a fair day's work for a fair day's pay principle. Once more, if management tries to impose any street standard or demonstrated performance, file a damn grievance. And that's exactly what this thing says, baby. File a damn grievance. Speaking of TRAP, I want you to know this region, DLTs, REITs, and LOCs are fighting every day and not giving in. RAA so-and-so handles all things TRAP as the NLC art for region this <laughs> And he is in constant communication with the parties. A little update on TRAP results in this region. And I'm not going to read that because I don't want to give it away. Regardless of your feelings on the process, the results speak for themselves. So far in this region, this process has resulted in a net gain of this many full-time assignments, which is a lot. Not counting the number of carrier technician positions added. That is that many more carrier city letter carriers added through the TRAP process. The fact is unilateral mail count and route inspections are a nightmare. They result in overburdened routes, grievances, and undue stress on the letter carriers. And yes, we file grievances on improper unilateral inspections and often with successful months and years down the road. And some letter carriers may even receive money. However, the goal is to fix the problem of overburdened routes and build the routes to as near eight hours as possible, not have carriers burned with huge routes for months and years in hopes of a couple of dollars in grievance payouts. That's fine. Contrary to some people's opinion, not every carrier wants money. They want a route that is not overburdened. If we are trying to fix the workroom floor and stress on the letter carrier, we first need to ensure their routes are as near as eight hours as possible. Thereafter, we need to fight tooth and nail to fix the underlying problems in those offices. Now remember, it's management's obligation to make sure our routes are as close to eight hours as possible. It's not ours. It's management's. Now, we hold them to that. But management is the one who's required to make sure that our routes are as close to eight hours as possible. The TRAP process, unfortunately, had to be implemented because they can't do that. To conclude, the TRAP process allows letter carriers to have a seat at the table. Is it perfect? No. But is it better than the alternative? Unilateral route inspections? Hell yes. In this region, our TRAP representatives have been told repeatedly not to deviate from the parameters of the process, and they will continue not to do so. If for any reason we believe there are any games being played 
or other issues in the process, we will identify them and elevate those matters to the national parties. On a final note, unfortunately, as all of you know, management is creating and are fostering a toxic work environment throughout our region. We need to fight back via the grievance procedure on every aspect of this toxic environment. This office is laser-focused on attacking this on all fronts, whether it's via the JSOV, Mutual Respect Atmosphere, Article 8 Grievance, 12 and 60 Violations, Discipline, OWCP Issues, Medical Limitations, Light Duty, etc. In the coming months, we'll be rolling out trainings, grievance starters, and more to address the toxic working environment. In the meantime, keep filing grievances, PM form, PS Form 1767, labor charges, EEOs, what other other avenues your disposal to address management's improper behavior. Thanks, this business agent. There you have one, folks. There you have one that was tired of looking out over the battlefield and seeing his people get overrun. There you have one that was tired of looking out over the battlefield and seeing his people get crushed. And he said, we are in this fight. We are in the fight, and the business agent is going to lead this fight. That is what they're supposed to do. The business agent is going to sound the horn in his region. Those people in that region have better damn rally with that business agent. You better rally around him and for him and help him in this fight. You've got a business agent now. All this screaming I've done over the last month. Somebody do something about something. Somebody get in this fight. Somebody stand the fuck up. You've got one. You've got one. Now that's just sent to me. There may be more of those out there. I don't know. But you've got one in this region who said, hey, sound the horn. We're busting through the fucking gate. And here we come. Rally to the business agent in that region, okay? He's got into the fight with us. And we've got to have that. If we're going to win, we've got to have the business agent doing that. That's the only way we will be successful. We can do things down here on the workroom floor. We are the foot soldiers. We've got one there who's decided to get into the fight. Rally around them. All right, we have a, a gentleman, Alan Gigax. I don't know if I said that name right. Alan Gigax, G-E-G-A-X. Uh, he has started a podcast for letter carriers, okay? It's called Classes of Mail. Classes of Mail. Look that up. Classes of mail. It says, as a reminder, I go over basic procedures, rules, and give background in how things work at the post office. Uh, he's a Carrier Academy instructor, and this podcast will cover all the stuff people have forgotten from that class. Okay? Uh, it's called Classes of Mail, and he's got it on uh, Google, iTunes, Stitcher, and a few other places. There are three episodes up right now. And he has three more in the uh, can that he'll release over the coming weeks. So he's got three out there right now. Give the guy some support. It's Classes of Mail is what it's called, okay? Classes of Mail. So, Alan, good luck to you, my brother, in your podcast. Uh, we need more like you. I had somebody reach out to me. He says, <clears throat> Now my MBA is office is saying it's completely fine for management to do attendance reviews for everyone for every absence, no matter what the absence is for or what their history is. This B team member, who's the brightest guy that I know, 
I said that, not this guy, but the, he says this B team member's name uh, told me it completely negates the purpose of attendance reviews, which is to correct a problem. How are they correcting a problem if they just have a blanket attendance program locally? All these things management is doing to intimidate the carriers, but I'm just hearing they can do that. I'm at my wits end. Uh, look, attendance reviews are prescribed in, in the ELM, and it says to control unscheduled absences, and that's what management is management's instructions, to control unscheduled absences. If management is just having a day, where they call every carrier in there to do attendance reviews, what they're doing is they're getting that off the checklist. Why? Because the union always uses that against management. Did you do an attendance review? Yes. So they can answer that question. <laughs> However, you're right. If they're saying you're getting an attendance review, there's a blanket policy. We're giving attendance reviews to everybody in the station. And I've only been absent once. They're going to give an attendance review and they're going to say, hey, you're doing well. Thank you. That's your attendance review. Okay. We'll raise that issue in our contentions. All right. Uh, they had to go to the 3971s, the 3972s to your requirements and things like that. Uh, if they're doing that, they're going to say that they've put you on notice through an attendance review. That's not how that works. An attendance review is for instances where I may be on the brink of discipline. Okay. So to that individual there, if they're giving blanket attendance reviews and you've got one person in there that's had one, one unscheduled absence, question the supervisor. Why are you doing it like this? Get that on the record. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay? If they're saying it's none of your business, put in an information request to interview the supervisor for a potential violation of uh, Article 19, Section 5 of the ELM, attendance reviews. And that way you can get it on the record. All right. Why are you doing invest or attendance reviews for people who just had one occurrence? Well, the district manager sent an email down. I need that email. And we're going to put that in every file. Okay. So play chess now when they're playing checkers. They're playing checkers here when they're doing that. They're saying, hey, look, we fulfilled our obligation to do an attendance review. We did it way back when. They're trying to, to circumvent that section of the ELM where it talks about attendance review when they do that, okay? So if they're doing that in your station, if they're giving blanket, uh, everybody in one day is getting an attendance review, and you have, like me, I had one, I had no occurrences. So ask them why they're doing it, okay? Because it's to control unscheduled absences, right? So I hope I helped you there. But the B team member was right. Your business agent is wrong there. When he says management, uh, completely fine for management to do attendance reviews for everyone, for every absence, no matter what. I disagree with that completely. Uh, I, I think that management, we should show a pattern. There should be something uh, to warrant an attendance review, not just bring everybody in there at the same time. I'd, I'd put in an information request and I would request to interview that supervisor. Why are you doing this for people who have no attendance issues? Uh, you, you got to, to keep their feet in the fire, okay? Don't let them get away with stuff like that. When I talk about grieve everything, that's what I'm talking about. Grieve everything, okay? I'm going to read this to you. Somebody sent this to me and asked me to read it, and that's what I'm going to do. It talks about contract negotiations 2023. And after this, I'm going to do the 
certifies in the DPS, we're going to grieve that nationwide. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you something that you don't have that's going to help you with this grievance. Okay. Nobody has this. Some people may have it, but I've, I've come across, somebody sent this to me. And then there's a B team impasse uh, from one of the B team guys who's the best in the country to me. Uh, we're going to omit the name, but I'm going to put his impasse in there. And, uh, and you can just copy and paste it and make it your own. You can't use his verbiage because he's got names in there. But uh, copy the contract stuff and make it your own. Uh, I'll get to that in just a second. But I want to read this. as Contract Negotiations 2023, okay? Negotiations on the next NALC-USPS National Agreement began on February 22nd. National President Brian Renfro's opening remarks identified issues that must be addressed during the negotiations. The first issue was staffing. The unemployment rate is at a 50-year low which makes it exceedingly difficult to attract large numbers of applicants with our starting wage of $19.33 per hour. You can go to many employers locally and start at remarkably close to $19 an hour, even more than $19 an hour, and work at a job that is less physically demanding, less stressful, and provides time off regularly. Turnover in the Postal Service is an all-time high due to a subpar wage and benefit package. President Renfro stated that the solution to the staffing shortage is to increase wages and shift to an all-career workforce by abolishing the CCA position. In many places, the NELC has agreed to an all-career workforce model, but it has not resolved the issue. One only has to look at Albany, New York, or Cincinnati, Ohio. President Renfro stated that letter carriers had been the backbone of America during the pandemic, Letter carriers delivered the 2020 election despite the attempts to dismantle the USPS processing system, attacks on the USPS reputation, and the integrity of the nation's letter carriers. The President of the United States called us a joke. The NELC is seeking to improve the standard of living for the nation's letter carriers. A second issue that needs to be addressed is the epidemic of crime against letter carriers. The repeated attacks are unprecedented and must be addressed through action. A start to this would be contacting your congressional representatives and asking them to support H.R. 1641, the ESPS Subpoena Authority Act, which gives the ESPS the ability to crack down on postal crime as letter carriers are facing daily assaults across the nation. The next step then should be legislation addressing the crimes against federal employees, making sure each of these crimes are overseen federally. In many instances, when carriers are attacked or assaulted, the crime is prosecuted locally and not federally. The attacks against letter carriers function as a deterrent to attracting job seekers to join the Postal Service. Another issue that must be addressed is the lack of management contract compliance at the local level. The branch is continually filing grievances over the same or similar issues, and in many instances, we're receiving escalated remedies. However, this is not stopping management from violating the con contract, let alone respecting our contract. I have been told many times by current acting postmaster and the MCSO that under no circumstances is management agreeing to cease and assist violating provisions of the contract they are repeatedly violating. I've been told it's, not, it's the cost of doing business. 
This is a willful or wanton disregard accepting the terms of an agreement that management signed. You can find President Renfro's speech on video at www.nelc.org under the New and Information tab. As the NELC is in the midst of contract negotiations, the Teamsters will start to negotiate a new national union contract with the United Parcel Service. Their contract expires on July 31st. Teamsters Union President Sean O'Brien and the Secretary of the Treasury Yellen will be directly involved in negotiating the terms of the new contract for the first time. President O'Brien has made it clear where he stands in a speech in Boston on April 2nd. He referred to USPS as a white-collar crime syndicate and said that the Teamsters are not going to take and accept what UPS gives us. He said July 31st, when Big Brown is shut down, you're going to see supply chain solutions come to a halt. And do you know what? We're not afraid to do it. Six issues have been identified over which the union is willing to strike. And I'm reading this off my phone. I'm blind as a bat. That's the reason I sound like I do. Second class drivers. Four years ago, a new class of drivers was created who worked Tuesday through Saturday. These drivers start at $20.50 per hour and reach the pay of $30.64 per hour. The average hourly wage for previously hired full-time package delivery drivers after four years on the job is $42 per hour. In other words, a loss of $11.36 an hour to do the same work. Two, excessive overtime. Finding enough volunteers to work on Saturday is an issue, so managers just assign force just assign force the shifts. Three, personal vehicle drivers. These are temporary employees who deliver packages using their own vehicles. Four, driver surveillance. The teams just want to curtail surveillance practices such as driver facing surveillance cameras with audio and video capabilities installed in most trucks. Part-time pay raise, a $20 per hour starting wage and opportunities for part-time workers to convert to full-time will be sought by the Teamsters. Six, heat. The Teamsters are calling for improved safety measures inside the delivery trucks and warehouses. UPS drivers have posted on social media thermometer readings inside the delivery trucks with, which exceed 120 degrees. Now that may be good to put in your hero training. Remember how hot our vehicles get? Have these thermometers in there? That'll be good to show the arbitrator uh, in arbitration. Here's how hot our vehicles get, and here's management intensely falsifying our training. Okay, so anything you can get like that. Sorry about that. But anyway, the letter carrier craft is faced with many of the same issues. The 2019-2023 national agreement took over a year to negotiate. The Postal Reorganization Act stated that as an employer, the Postal Service shall achieve and maintain compensation for its officers' employees comparable to the rates and types of compensation paid in the private sector of the economy of the United States. If the Teamsters conclude their negotiations with USPS and achieve higher wages and solution to excessive overtime before the NELC reaches an agreement with USPS, then maybe the Teamsters' contract victories can be used as a bargaining chip with the USPS. As president of Branch 3, it is my job to fight to make sure my membership has provided basic protections under our collective bargaining agreement that align with labor's interest to provide a stable middle-class living with a proper work-life balance. Currently, I believe, as well as many other branch presidents around the country, the NELC is not providing this to the membership. 
My concern is this contract bargaining strategy is too similar to previous strategies. In order to achieve the gains necessary, a new and radical approach I believe is necessary. There are many things wrong within the USPS. Some of those contract issues are as follows. Jobs are no longer desirable. New hires and veteran carriers alike are quitting, and it is not just overcompensation pay issues. Unhappy workforce. This job is, phys- is as physically demanding as it has ever been, which causes stress for letter carriers with longer street times. Then you couple that with unrelenting micromanagement, bullying managers and supervisors, and a toxic work environment, mandatory overtime due to short staffing, and overall poor working conditions have led to staggering attrition rates. Three, work schedules. Constantly vary. Unknown many times or given at last minute, every day at USPS is an emergency or crisis to get routes delivered and advanced scheduling is non-existent, not allowing employees to plan or live their lives. Four, enforcing the terms of the CBA. Contract compliance is an issue. Management frequently violates the same provisions causing escalated remedial relief. There is no incentive or motivation for management to follow the contract. How many times have we said that on this podcast? This dude's hitting it right on the head, man. Five, starting pay is too low. Over 300 offices on the negotiated all-career model, and there are still staffing issues. Pay not keeping up with inflation, even with COLAs of our competitors and many other employers. In many parts of the country, we do not deliver mail six days a week, a violation of federal law. As we enter negotiations, continue working our way to coming to some type of negotiated agreement, I believe the new contract must contain and address the following minimally. 1. Starting pay. Currently insufficient compared to the same or similar employees. Starting pay. Currently insufficient compared to the same or similar employers. Non-career debacle. The CCA classification is not advertised as a path to career and across-the-board career job must be achieved. Contract compliance. The contract needs to mean something, and for that, those that continually or willfully break it, penalties, accountability, need to be exacted. Five, transfer rules. Outdated. Lock-in period unrealistic. Ratio improbable. CCA movement to a new installation. Six, scheduling. Flexible schedules, many other employees offer this. Telling CCAs at the end of their tour to be in tomorrow morning is absurd. Seven, starting times. The seasonal changing or monthly changing is absurd. Management uses this as a weapon to punish carriers. I 100% agree with that. Eight, mandatory overtime. Whether that's off assignment or on your or non-scheduled day, if you do not want to work overtime, you should not have to. The employer should provide enough staffing to cover delivery assignments. They have used Article 85D as a means of weekly scheduling by not keeping sufficient staffing. I have started to voice my concerns with the national and regional leadership to correct many of the issues letter carriers face. My message is gaining traction as many other branch presidents are following suit. I would like to thank Cincinnati President Ted Thompson and his April newsletter, see included Queen City Letter Care News and Views article, for continuing to support some of the issues Branch 3 and other branches have started to raise to get our members the proper compensation and benefits they deserve. 
The NLC is currently in negotiations. Hopefully, a negotiated agreement will be produced and sent to the rank and file for ratification. If this is the case, and it does not address pay and benefit issues, hiring and staffing issues, workplace and workroom floor issues, the membership must reject the agreement and force NELC headquarters and the USPS back to the negotiating table. If the negotiated agreement does address these issues, then we must ratify that agreement. Time will tell which one it will be. The Great Postal Strike of 1970 was started by and led by New York carriers, which included many men still alive today in Branch 3. Thank you, retirees. Branch 3 is a founding member, September 5, 1889, of the NLC. Men from Branch 3 were in the room in Detroit, Michigan, when this union was formed. Those men that formed the union and that went on strike in 1970 fought for better wages, benefits, and working conditions. We, the current active membership, must be prepared to fight to honor those men's legacy by bringing the value of this job back, the respect of this job back, and the leadership back of this great union. If not, each and every one of us active carriers are disgraced the sacrifices these founding and striking men made. It is our job to protect their legacy. The branch will need each and every one of you to accomplish this. Branch 3 has the pedigree, the talent, the vision, and the leadership to resurrect this great union and our employer once again. We have done it before. We will do it again. Why? Because Branch 3 is union strong. Uh, I was asked to read that, and there you have it. That's fantastic right there. It's, fan- it, it, it's every carrier's sentiment in one newsletter. One newsletter, uh, and that's from Branch 3, obviously, up in Chicago. And uh, and that region is, is on fire. That region is on fire, and they may be, they may be offering something to our, our new, our next uh, election. I don't know. <laughs> that region may be offering something to our next election. If I have anything to do with it. All right. So lastly, let's get into this uh, certifies in the DPS. I talked a little bit about this earlier in an earlier episode where somebody had asked about certifies in the DPS. And I talked about the, the language where it talks about if you find certifies in the DPS, you treat it just like certifies that you'd sign for. You go ahead and deliver it and stuff like that. We have come across something dated March 27th of 2023, which changes the game, okay? This changes the game as far as I'm concerned and as far as others are concerned as well. And this shows that management is intentionally placing the certifieds in the DPS mail. It's one thing for us to contend it. As a contract case, that burden is on us to prove that. If I say management is intentionally doing it, I have to prove that they're intentionally doing it. Or they can just say, hey, those are just put in there. You know, we can't catch all of them. That'd be very difficult for us to prove. We have something here that shows management is intentionally putting certifieds in the DPS mail. Okay, so this will be put up on from arbitration.com on this episode. Get this and print it out. You're going to file a grievance, okay? And, uh, the the B team impasse is going to be in there. 
I would like to redact the names. I don't want my people just out there like that, but it's a damn good impasse and it's going to help you with the issue statement and it's going to help you with the contentions. Okay. I think it's very good. And I know other people have grieved it, uh, but this is a B team impasse, but here's the thing that we got. And it's a memorandum. It's March 27th of 2023, all employees. Now, anytime something says all employees, do you know what that means? All employees. So this is everybody. When it says all, A-L-L, employees, that means everybody. Okay, so if you say, well, how's that pertain to, you know, that y'all got that in Nashville? How's that? Because it says all employees. That's how. Subject, certified mail acceptance for retail, collection, and plant processing. Domestic certified mail service is a premium first-class mail product. A fee-based special service provides the sender with proof of acceptance with a mailing receipt and verification that an article was delivered or that a delivery attempt was made. For additional fee, signature from the recipient can be provided either electronically or via a return receipt postcard. In fiscal year 2022, certified mail generated 653 million from 170 million pieces. Currently, service performance for the premium certified mail product is lower than regular first class mail pieces. Recent analysis indicates that special handling of certified mail is the main driver for its poor scanning and delivery performance. Effective immediately, certified mail must be accepted, processed, scanned, and delivered as outlined below. It's got these bullet points. First one, certified mail must be dispatched and handled in transit as first-class mail. Refer to Publication 210, Section 23, located on the USPS Blue Page at, and it's got that. So, certified mail must be dispatched and handled in transit as first-class mail, which means what? They're not pulling it out any longer. It's being handled as first-class mail. Second, certified mail accepted at the retail counter and retrieved from collection boxes must not be held out or separated from other letter or flat-size first-class mail pieces. There you have it. Certified mail accepted at the retail counter and retrieved from collection boxes must not, in all caps, not be held out or separated from other letter or flat size first class mail. Okay. Next bullet point. Metered commercial certified mail pieces that are presented at the post office containerized in trays are to remain in the trays. This will ensure the flow to the appropriate automated outgoing primary processing operation at the processing and distribution center. Next bullet point. Certified mail received at mail processing facilities must not be separated from other or letter flat shaped first class mail pieces. Next one. Certified mail must be processed on the same automated operations, including delivery point sequence second pass, so DPS second pass, as first-class mail with the appropriate visibility systems active on the mail processing equipment. Certified mail will no longer utilize a special holdout on automation sort programs. Last, certified mail, letters and flats destined for caller reserve boxes at delivery units and plants must be separated from delivery point sequence 
and sorted to a separate letter tray or flat tub where the collar box zip code does not contain any delivery routes. So that's it right there. That's what we've been waiting on. We've been talking a lot about the certifies and the DPS mail. Uh, really had no proof that it was intentional. So it's very difficult to win a grievance if we cannot prove that it's an intentionally been placed in there because management will say what? There are pieces that slide in there every once in a while, pull them out. Some say bring it back. The contract says to deliver it. Here you have something showing that management is intentionally placing certified mail in the DPS, okay? It's got the issue statement. Did management violate, violate Article 5 of the National Agreement? Postal Operations Manual, Section 137. Domestic Mail Manual, Section 508. And or Sections 122, 131, and 262 of Handbook M41. When they announced they would be running all future certified letters in the DPS on 413. There's your issue statement. Okay? Uh, also, uh, it's got a second issue, but it talks about uh, the union's position. Uh, very good work from our guy here, uh, who's fantastic B-team guy. But he has all the contractual language that you need. In this B-team, I'm not going to read this whole B-team decision. It's Our position is nine pages. Uh, but he, everything that you need to win your grievance is in that B-team impasse. Uh, you got management's impasse. And so that will help you at the informal and formal uh, to look at management's impasse, <clears throat> see how stupid it is, and be able to be ready to defeat that argument at the formal A, okay, when you have this. So it'll help you win your argument, and it'll help you see management's argument as well. So get on from aidarbitration.com. This B-team decision will be on there. Very well written. Uh, copy and paste the language out of there. Make it your own contention. It, you'll have this memo. That's what we've been waiting for. Uh, that's the smoking gun that we would say that when you do a contract case that burns on us, this 100% justifies the grievance right there. Okay, that memorandum that I just read to you. Uh, thank you all for reaching out to me. Uh, a lot of stuff happening. Um, I'll read just a few because I love them. It says, hey, man, just wanted you to know that I just recently discovered your podcast and it's fucking killer. Just wanted to show you some love from this state. I've been listening every week and I've been recommending you to other carriers. I'm not in a union role, but I have learned so much from just listening every week. The amount of shit that goes on in our, our station that is against the contract is unfucking believable I knew the basics of the contract, but man, oh, man, you have shown me a whole different perspective. Anyway, keep killing it and keep firing on those possums. Says, uh, take care of my brother. <laughs> uh, so that's one of them. So, uh, here's another one. Brother, love everything you guys are doing. We went many years without a steward in our office. I stepped up and now steward for eight months. I'm going for training first week of June. All my training was from you. Let me tell you, I'm killing management all day, every day. It's getting so bad that I'm getting cussed at from McClellan's postmaster and got to tell Miss McClellan to lower her voice when speaking to me. To I'm not getting info, I'm requesting getting hard to set meetings up to discuss grievances, but we're good. I'll have five grievances for this Friday. Two of them will be Article 1731, 
with 15 included. Plus, it's getting so bad that we're adding monetary reward for union. We're level 22 office with nine CCAs. With these, I filed over 50. With these, I filed over 15 grievances so far this year. So now, the McClellan's postmaster wants to walk with me a lot. So what? I'm glad he's fucking with me and not on my carriers. I tell him to bring it on. No one is scared of him or his pieces of shit wanting to be supervisor. <laughs> my next grievance is harassing shop steward. Plus, my president is working on a joint statement. So, Corey, thank you. Without you, I would have never been able to get where I'm at now. Fuck management. Amen. This is up, here's another one. Up until very recently, from aid arbitration has been the only form of training I have received as a steward. That's sad. I have learned a great deal from this podcast, and I attribute all of my success in defeating discipline to this podcast. I find myself often listening to episodes over and over and always learning something new. And on days when I'm feeling down and like the going is getting too hard, I find that passion Mr. Walton shows for the city letter carriers is infectious, and it gives me the courage to keep pushing forward. I recommend this podcast to everyone and anyone that wants to learn their rights as a seated letter carrier or to anyone that just wants to hear someone speak that truly loves and cares for his brothers and sisters. And so that's just a few of the people that reached out. I truly appreciate that. Uh, I love hearing your success stories. I, I do. Uh, I started this thing to educate. Uh, we've done that in spades. Uh, Mr. Poskin's going to be on here soon. JB's going to be back on here soon. Um, and, and anybody wants to be on here, if you know what you're talking about, you can be on here. You know, the, the RA I was talking about earlier that said I was cashing checks. The one I says playing checkers, I asked him to come on. I said, Hey, you can come on the podcast and he declined. Okay. So look, if you want to get on here and talk about something, come on. I encourage you to do that. Start your own podcast. Uh, that gentleman said he's starting one. There's another person that said he's starting one. I reached out to him and asked if he minded if I told people he didn't get back to me. Um, so, but uh, it's all about education. It's all about education. It's, it's training you to be chess players, and, and that's what we're going to do, okay, because management will always play checkers. We just can't be in the habit of playing checkers with them, okay? Uh, I appreciate y'all more than you know. Thank y'all for listening. Thank y'all for spreading the word. Um, long episode. I didn't think it'd be near this long, dadgummit, but you know how I am. I talk too much. That's it for this episode. All right. Uh, y'all have a fantastic rest of the week. Uh, I'll talk to y'all. I, I should do not one next week. I think next week is Memorial Day weekend. Um, I should, I should be doing one. If I don't, uh, just know that I'll be back the next week. <laughs> I don't know what I got planned for next weekend. So anyway, uh, y'all have a fantastic week. Uh, I love y'all very much. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. We've got some getting in the fight with us, okay? The horn is sounding, right? The bell is crashing through some shit. we got them stepping in the arena with us. That's all we've asked. Give us a chance to fight with you. We'll rally around you, I promise. Uh, so that business agent... Uh, thank you for getting in the arena with the city letter care. That's all we want. All right. Y'all take care of yourselves and I'll talk to y'all later. All right. Bye.